0: have your bibles with you i would like you please to turn to matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 we're coming to the close of a section here in the sermon on the mount that we're looking at and we're spending time in the sermon on the amount on the mount and we don't apologize for that it is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached it is jesus's doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It is the explanation of the great command, love one another as I have loved you. If you want to know how a spirit-filled Christian should live, then the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most important scriptures for you to study. You see, we're not under law anymore, do you know that? There's no more law for the believer. It's done. It's great to look back and read the Old Testament and the law, but it's not for our lives. It's not for our lives. We are spirit-filled believers, and we live by the Spirit, and we live by the law of Christ, which is Galatians six two. and the law of Christ says, carry one another's burdens. We live by the law of Christ, carrying one another's burdens. Do unto others as they do. Uh, uh, sorry, that's, that's the reverse I always use. Um, do unto others as you'd, as you'd have them do to you. And then, um, then uh, 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 finally, love one another as I have loved you. Love is the key to the Christian life. Spirit-filled, spirit-led love. And the beautiful thing about the Sermon on the Mount is it gives you examples of the character of a spirit filled Christian who wants to live by the law of love, the law of Christ. It gives you the character. That's right there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Uh, But you might say, well, that's great, the Beatitudes, the type of character that we should have. Oh, that's wonderful. We're to live by the law, love your neighbor as yourself. We're to carry one another's burdens. We'll fulfill the law of Christ. That's all very well. But can you give me some examples of how I would do that in daily life? Well, this is what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is to tell you the sort of person that has the characteristic of the Beatitudes that I've just read, how will that sort of person deal with daily life? How will they react to situations? What will they do in certain situations? So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount shows us illustrations and examples of how a spirit-filled Christian lives apart from the law. The Sermon on the Mount is not a new law. And uh, we have been looking at a section that actually um, began in verse 20 of Matthew 5, which says, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you see the Pharisees and their righteousness, Well, you, 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 need, to, you, you need to be more righteous than they. You need to live a righteous life That is greater than the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees. And the reaction of the people that heard the sermon was, how can we live more righteously than the Pharisees? They're the ones that teach us the law. Well, as soon as Jesus has finished that in verse 20, he then goes on to give us six examples Of how we can live at a higher level of righteousness than the Pharisees. And these six examples that we've been going through. He he says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. And then, uh, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He speaks about divorce. He speaks about oaths. He speaks about an eye for an eye. And then finally, love your neighbor, which we're coming to today and in each one of these examples they're not new laws okay? they're not new laws he's saying i'll show you how the pharisees live and how they think their righteousness and i'll show you true righteousness so in each one of these six statements we he, he he is saying this is how the pharisees live this is how they live under the law but i tell you how you live in the spirit And in each one of these situations, we see that Jesus is dealing with heart issues. You see, the Pharisees were just concerned with external issues. Okay? They understood the law said that you can't physically murder somebody, but in their heart, they were angry and murdering and character assassinating everybody that they could. They understood that the law said you shall not commit adultery, but in their heart, they gave free reign for all types of lust. And so the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is God's work in our heart. Religious people are only concerned in what you see on the outside. They'll dress up for church. They'll, they'll, they'll put on an appearance of righteousness. And they will wag their finger at this behavior and that behavior. But Jesus said of the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside... You look so holy, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones. And so these are examples of how the Pharisees and religious people try and live religiously. But Jesus is saying this is how somebody who is is fostering the characteristics of the Beatitudes... This is how somebody would deal with these issues of life. He could have chosen many other issues to talk about. These are just examples and principles, not new laws. And so we come to the sixth statement of how we are to live with a righteousness that is superior to the law and superior to the Pharisees. And it's interesting this passage that I'm going to read, because this passage begins to prepare us for the next stage of Jesus' sermon. You know, when you uh, are a preacher and you're writing a sermon, then you have stages and points that you want to make in your sermon. You have an introduction. That's the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. You have a conclusion. We've yet to come to that. That, speak, that will end up speaking about the fear of of the Lord. But in between the introduction and the conclusion, there are a certain number of points that you want to make. And he's been making the point about a righteousness that exceeds the law and the Pharisees. And when we come to chapter six, he's going to move into his next point, which is how to live life in the presence of your Father. How to live life in the presence of your Father. And so in this verse that, that, we've, that we have, um, have come to, in um, verse 43, he is going to finish with how we should live the spirit-filled life with love, better than the law, a righteousness of the heart, and begin to transition us into his next point of walking, of walking in the presence of Of our father in heaven okay so that's an introduction so let's read um, verse 43 onwards you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies bless those who curse you do good to those who hate you And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Can you see in those passages how Jesus is beginning to introduce the Father? And then when we go into chapter 6, that will be the main theme. How to live in the presence of your Father. How to walk In life as a spirit-filled Christian, holding the hand of your Father. So it's a wonderful transition from uh, a righteousness that exceeds the law and the Pharisees into walking in the presence of your Father. And so in this last illustration or principle, Jesus, and he's been using the phrase, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And in this sixth illustration, he says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, we've seen that in some of the examples beforehand, like, uh, for example, uh, adultery um, um, or swearing on oaths, that we can go back to the law, can't we, and see where the Pharisees were quoting that particular law. Well, here, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, you've said you should love your neighbor, well, that is in the law. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, love your neighbor as yourself. In Galatians chapter 5, Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself fulfills the law. In other words, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't need the law, you don't need the Ten Commandments, you don't need the law at all. Because the law is hoping that the best that the law could do would say, love your neighbor. But you know, you can't love your neighbor without the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount, I've said this before, is spirit-filled living. And this is why when people come to the Sermon on the Mount, politicians or religious people, and they say, oh, you know what Britain needs? Britain needs a good, good dose of love your neighbor as yourself. Britain needs a good dose of this, these morals in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, a great moral teacher. We need a good dose of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, firstly, the Sermon on the Mount is not for the unbeliever. It's not a sermon to you. So it's got nothing to do with you. You need to get born from above first. And secondly, the Sermon on the Mount can only be done by being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you are not saved, you are not poor in spirit. You have yet to bow your knee to the Savior. You've yet to know that you need the Lord. So you're disqualified immediately from the rest of it. So this isn't moral morality. This is spirit-filled living. And so we know that Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. But you know there is nothing in the law that says hate your enemy. Nothing in the law. There's no such quote, love your, love, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. So Jesus wasn't quoting when he said, hate your enemy, the law. So who was he quoting? Well, Remember, in each one of these six illustrations of living a righteousness greater than the Pharisees, greater than the law, he is showing you how the Pharisees live, what they think, how they interpret scripture, and saying what a nonsense that was, and showing how the spirit-filled believer would live. And so this is a quote from the Pharisees. This is what the Pharisees were teaching. And to the Pharisees, to love your neighbor meant uh, love your fellow Israelite. And uh, they, they, in their minds, they remembered the time when God told Israel to drive out the Canaanites. Do you remember that? And, And God, the judgment on God on the Canaanites was great. They were to totally utterly destroy the Canaanites hold of of, of the land and drive them out. In fact, they would be penalized if they didn't. You say, well, that's a bit unfair on the Canaanites. No, we read that um, even in the time of Abraham, God said to Abraham, you're going to have the land of Canaan, but the land of Canaan will come, but only because of the wickedness of the Canaanites. And then just as Israel was about to go into the land of Canaan, God said to them, don't think that I'm giving you the promised land because of your own righteousness and holiness. Not at all. But the sin and rebellion of the Canaanites has reached the level. I have been patient with them, the Lord was saying, for 340 years right back to... I've been patient with them, patient with them. If they turned to me like Nineveh, but they didn't. If they turned to me, but they didn't, I've been... And now their sin is such a stench in my nostrils that the time of their judgment has come. So the Canaanites are going to be driven out because of their sin, not your righteousness. And so the Pharisees knew this story. And so they they said, you see... We love ourselves as Israelites, but everybody else is our enemies. And so they added that. And so Jesus is dealing with that and totally reverses it. Now, when he's talking about enemy, what sort of enemy are we talking about? Uh, We we looked at this a little bit last week um, when we said, when Jesus in verse 39, well, verse 38 and 39 said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. And we looked at that and we said, well, does that mean that you can't be a policeman? Because if a Christian is a policeman, aren't they going to re- resist the evil person? I certainly hope they do, or we would be in trouble. Can you imagine a policeman going around in a riot, and, and some rioter comes and slaps them on their cheek, and the policeman goes, I don't want my policeman. And we, we looked at that, didn't we? And we said this was talking about personal situations. And that God has given us the church, but he has also given us government, policemen. And Romans speaks about the sword has been given to to make evil people fear. It's part of the grace of God government when it's properly done. So in this situation, are we saying when it says love your enemies that a Christian can't be a soldier? Because there will be enemies of the nation. No, we're not talking about that. And if you want more detail on what I mean by that, go back to the sermon last week. Watch it on the internet because it's the same sort of argument here. We're talking about personal animosity. Personal enemies that come into our lives. And when we speak about enemies, enemies can come into our lives in many different forms. Please try not to make enemies. We're not talking about making enemies and then, and then, you know, saying, God, deal with my... There are certain people that are very skilled in making enemies. They're always falling out with, with people. Always. It's like wherever they go, they end up making enemies. Well, somebody who keeps making enemies, they haven't even begun to live the spirit-filled life. They're not dealing with their enemies. They're making enemies. Now, we're not talking about that. If you, if you have a problem, if you're always rubbing people up the wrong way, chances are you're the problem. But even the righteous have enemies. Sometimes enemies can come in many different forms and uh, many different intensities. Sometimes you can have someone that just winds you up, just doesn't like you. Is, it just doesn't want to help you. Uh, sometimes you can have enemies that are jealous of you. Enemies can often come out of a spirit of jealousy. They see you blessed or they see you promoted and they don't like it and they're going to work behind the scenes to try and dislodge you, to try and bring you down right to where enemies want to absolutely Destroy you. And I'm sure you've had enemies since you're a child, right through of various degrees and intensities. I mean, I've, I've, I'm thank God I've been shielded from many situations, but I remember one enemy that literally, literally did everything they could to destroy me and my family. That was their agenda. And when these things come up, you, you say, Well, what am I going to do? And your natural instinct. To your enemy is to fight back, to fight back, to hit back, to argue back. But you know, enemies, this is going to be crazy to say, but enemies are not always a bad thing. And I want you to, th- I want you to think about that thought because sometimes God allows enemies to refine us, strengthen us, grow us, purify us. If you can deal with your enemies in a godly way, then you are a mature Christian. So when an enemy comes along, don't immediately panic and reach for, you know, every weapon you have and get off the boxing gloves. Right. You want to fight? I'll knock you out. Stop a second and say, Lord, there's an enemy here. But you know what? You know that, and you know the key to dealing with this. And this is where we start moving into chapter 6. And you know what, Lord? My life is not in my enemy's hand. My life is in your hand. Father, you're big enough to deal with my... I don't have to fight my own corner. You'll fight my own corner. You're with me. I'm going to trust you rather than fight myself. I'll do what you say. I'll follow you, but... Again, this is a heart issue. So when we talk about hating your enemy, he says, Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So how do and remember this is about overcoming overcoming your enemy. It's not just sitting back and going, You win. It's like, you know, when Jesus says, Do not resist the evil person, you win. No, this is a strategy to overcome your enemy. Now you can overcome the enemy through hatred, fighting fire with fire, or you can overcome the enemy with the Spirit and with the Father. And God says you overcome the enemy by not by crossing over into the supernatural. You you don't refute, you don't match hate with hate, you overwhelm your enemy through love. And how do you do this? Well, the first thing that's in your heart is that there, there's no retribution. We, this follows on from what we looked at when we looked at the, the, uh, uh, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other. If anyone wants to sue you, let him have your cloak. Whoever compelled you to go one mile, go two. And we said that these aren't new laws that literally if someone sues you, you know, you say, I'll oh, have my house too. But what this is, it's talking... About a heart that is not revengeful. Revengeful. So remember, this is the righteousness of a heart. So you've got an enemy. The first thing, the most important thing, is that you're not vindictive. You're not revengeful. You're not fearful of your enemy. Because fear, revenge vindictiveness will cause you to step out of the spirit and you'll end up in the flesh as much as them. You'll end up in some slugging match and even if you win, you won't be blessed and God won't be pleased. But, um, but loving your enemy and praying for those that persecute, this is, this, is, uh, this is dealing with... Now, when you love your enemy, it doesn't mean that you have to go on holiday with them. All right? So this isn't this isn't sort of like again taking something to an extreme but the most important thing I'll tell you the key to loving your enemy shall I the key and it's here the key to loving your enemy is to pray for them to pray for them that is the key to loving your enemy to bless those who curse you to pray for your enemy Praying for them deals with your heart. And um, when you pray for your enemy, I mean, I remember one particular uh, enemy. Sounds like hot loads, doesn't it? But I remember one particular person that was out to get me. A real nasty piece of work. And I'm thinking like, pray for my enemy. That's the key. That's where you start. Whatever else the Holy Spirit shows you to do... That's the Holy Spirit's work. Whatever he shows you to do, there's no law of what you have to do. The Holy Spirit. But but if your heart has been dealt with and you're not looking to to fight back, hit back, hate, then the Holy Spirit can speak to you about a strategy. But he can't speak to you if you're in panic mode, hate mode, revenge mode. You're going to hit back and hit harder. Do unto others before they do it to you. That type of attitude. So what, you have to, so what you have to do is you've got to be in a place where you're stable. Don't let the enemy put you in a corner. And the way you do that is praying. And I remember this particular in, individual is definitely, in definitely an enemy, definitely an enemy, my God. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, right, I meant to pray for this enemy. So I begin to say, Father, and I, I pray that you bless them. And I stopped and I thought, <laughs> yep, yeah. So bless them generally. And then I felt no, no. I have to pray. What I have, I have to play, pray for this part of their life, the finances. The and then I began to pray for different areas of their life. I didn't like it because it was now specific. to say, Oh Father, bless my enemies. What the heck? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh Father, bless my enemy and give him or her a promotion. <laughs> oh. And if I say it, you might answer it. You probably will too. Pray for motion. Lord, bless their family. Make them happy and glad and fulfill their heart's desire. And when you begin to pray for whatever that situation is, blessing upon them, something inside you, it's like, you know, it, it, there's a resistance. There's something that going. But I'm telling you what, that's the work of God in you. And the reason we find it difficult to pray for our enemies is, is, really not, is really because we don't trust God to look after ourselves. God, if you bless my enemy with a promotion, they're going to be in even greater position to destroy me. <laughs> Lord, if you bless my enemy and his family and his job and his ministry or whatever it might be, then he's going to think you're on his side or her side. So I'm praying blessing, and if you answer it, then it looks like you're going to be on their side, and what about my side? So the struggle when you pray for your enemy is, what about me? If you bless my enemy, where am I? I, I shouldn't be praying for blessing my enemy. I should be praying for my enemy to, to be destroyed so that I'm okay. So when you pray for your enemy, you, you find this wrestling thing on the inside, and you get a bit frightened, a bit scared, because if they're blessed, where does that leave me? And and that's where the living in the presence of the Father. And the Father says, what do you mean where does that leave you? I'm your Father. I'll look after you. You don't have to look after you. I'll look after you. And so I remember in that process of praying, it was hard to begin with. And I struggled. didn't understand what was going on. Especially when I began to pray the blessings that I would like on my lives. Specific personal blessings. I didn't like it to begin with. And then I realized that what God was showing in my heart was this spirit of defensiveness. I didn't want to pray for them in case they were blessed, and then I would be even more destroyed or whatever by my enemy. I wanted my enemy sorted out so that I could be vindicated. So really it was all about me, even though the enemy was a real enemy, and Really, I hadn't done anything to to deserve the type of animosity I was getting. Honestly, I hadn't. It wasn't me pretending. I hadn't hadn't made an enemy. The enemy decided to become mine. I I couldn't believe it, you know. And I'm thinking, so when you do that, you begin to say, wait a second. And then, over a process of time, it didn't happen immediately, as I began to bless my enemy. I didn't like doing it. I didn't like doing it. It was hard to do it. But something began to change in my heart. And I began to realize that I can bless my enemy because my life's not in the enemy's hands. And, and actually, God is in control of my life. I thought that if I blessed my enemy, I'd ruin my life. Why? Is my life in the hands of my enemy? But this is the way we act. When, when we read these things and say, love your enemy, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those, there it is, who spitefully use you and persecute you. You immediately go, no way am I going to put myself in that place of helplessness. I'm energizing my enemy. I'm asking them to be victorious. To be blessed. To be strengthened. But they're they're trying to destroy me. And I'm like praying for them to do. No, 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 no. What you're doing is you're putting yourself... In freedom. You're, you're, you're getting yourself in that place where you say, you know, Father, you're in control. And I am, I am getting myself out of this death grip that comes with enemy. Where you fight fire with fire. Vindictiveness with vindictiveness. Scheme against scheme. Slander against slander. Gossip against gossip. And you say, no, I'm going to bless them because I refuse have an enemy. I refuse to have an enemy and I refuse the enemy to have any part of my life. My father's in charge of my life and we're going to go out of this into into chapter six and we'll be hearing things like, why are you worried about one hair on your head? God's in control. Why are you worrying about what you're going to eat? Why are you worried about what's going to happen to your life? Oh, I've been raptured. Back. I'd be, either I was raptured or the TV camera person fainted. Amen. No, I don't mean that. I mean, it's not like they're in my enemy or anything, is it? So, so you, you're in this situation where you want to be free. And so that, that, doing that actually released me into a new level of spirituality. Because now I'm saying, Father, I'm just trusting you. I'm not good. This person, don't let an enemy dominate you and the only way they can dominate you is by you let that's right by you allowing them but remember there's only one preacher here today and he worked hard to get on this platform so so you you're releasing yourself but not only that you are, you are actually increasing your faith in your father in your father Isn't that amazing? And so now you're blessing your enemy, refusing to be part of the the enemy's plan. You're not getting sucked in. You're blessing them. But as you're blessing them, you're turning more and more to the Father. Because you're saying, God, this is in the flesh. This is the last thing I should do. I should strike out, defend myself. Retribution, revenge, I, I, you know, do, do them to them before they do to me, all these things. But instead, I'm just going to bless them, just going to bless them, just going to bless them. Because they've got no power over me. If I do, if I pray for them, they have no power over me. And I got to the place, and I'm not saying this is the one particular situation. I've failed many times on this, you know what I'm saying? But in this particular situation, I got to the place over a period. I thought, oh my God, they've got no power over me anymore. There's no, they're literally, I mean, if, if I had to, um, you know, feed my enemy or, or do something, or, it wouldn't bother me because they, they do not control my future. My destiny is not in the hand of my enemy. And because I've blessed them, prayed for them, I've worked that through in my heart. And now, but the only way I can do that is because I'm with the Father, And with the Father. I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, the enemies crucified him on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they... How could he do that? Because he was a nice man. More than that, it's because they had no hold on him. Oh, fantastic to be in a place where nobody can have a hold of you. Isn't this true? The great saints of church history, Stephen, just before he was martyred, And they were all gnashing their teeth. He's like, forgive them. You've got no hold over me. You can't, if it's my time to go. Oh, there's Jesus in glory. Forgive them. He he was, he was, they have no hold on him. Haven't you been in places where your enemies, whether they realize it or not? Because, you see, the enemy doesn't have a power to have a hold on you. Only you have the power to let the enemy have a hold on you. But you've been in situations, haven't you, where the enemy has dominated your thoughts, whether it be a bully at school to whatever it might be. The enemy is dominating you. You can't get it out of your mind. You're worried. You're concerned. How are you going to deal with this situation? And even though the enemy may or may not know it, he's, that he or she has got a hold on you. You are enslaved. Praise the Lord when you begin to pray for your enemy. That's the key. Everything comes out of that. It's a difficult process, but it's a process of God working in your heart. I'm not saying, and I'm sure some of you will today. You've got enemies. You're going to pray for them for the first time today. And remember, it's a process. I'm showing you how I went through it. It wasn't overnight. And you're going to start praying. You're not going to like it. But then you're going to think, well, do you know what? This is the hold that this enemy's got. I'm not praying for them because I want my enemy to be defeated. But your victory is not in your enemy's defeat. It's in your father's care. It's in your father's care. Your father has you in his hand. He he cares more. I mean, I'm going into chapter 6, but this is the transition. He cares for you more than he cares for the birds. And not one bird Falls from the earth without the Father knowing. I remember when I was traveling down the M1, it was an amazing thing. I was traveling down the the M1, and I was just driving, and then I looked up, and I saw a bird in the sky. And it wasn't one of those hawks or things, you know, that fall to the ground to catch a mouse. I just took my, it was just a bird. And then suddenly, the bird just, it was in front of, you know, because I'm driving, it was in front of me. The bird just fell. Bang. Onto, like, the slip road ahead of me. Just fell. And as I drove past it, it's dead. And God said, I know. And God was showing me that, that you know, that, that that bird died at the moment of God's pleasure. If I can use the word pleasure, meaning his permission. And so God, right, I was driving down this road. I've been living my life. And God when this little bird was a little egg, and let's not feel too sorry for the bird, this little bird was a little egg, and God was saying, one day, I know the moment, one day I'm going to use you as an illustration for Bruce. And God timed it to perfection. I'm driving along. And why, what made me look up at that second? If I hadn't looked, at it, I wouldn't have seen it. It all happened, bang, I looked up, what? Bang, whoa, like that, what a matter of Seconds. And God was showing that everything is in his hand. And so that little egg, God knew the moment that that bird's life would be ended. And he knew the exact second of it. And that I would be there and that it would be an illustration for me to, to bring to you. That bird did not die in vain. This bird's dying all over the time. This bird will be forever preached while this preacher is alive. I can't wait. I hope it's in my mansion in heaven when I get there. I if birds go to heaven, why not? And so, so can you see? So why are you worried what well, an enemy can? The threats of the enemy that cause you to want to threaten back. Prayer, the change of breath. And then when you will find, and like I said, it might. I don't know how long it will take for you, but you will get to the place. Just do it. It's an act of will. You do it not when you have the feelings. You're not going to have the... You pray and you pray and you don't like it. You're praying for everything you would like to have in your life. You pray for it. And then you, and then at the end of it you say, Yes, Lord, and I really mean it even though I don't feel like I mean it. Do it, Lord. And you walk away and you think, Oh, that's hard. And you do it again and again. You will change because the, you are doing... Only the Holy Spirit can do it. It's spirit-filled... Living Now, we come now to verse 45 that continues. It says, do this, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father. You know, what do you mean? Well, what God is saying is this, that this is exactly how the Father works. This is what the Father does all the time. Well, what do you mean he blesses his enemy, he prays for his enemy, he does good to those that that, that does it, he blesses those that curse him. What do you mean will be that you may be sons of your father in heaven? Well, look, he does this all the time. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Isn't that amazing? I often think about this. This is called, if you're making notes, this is called the doctrine of common grace. Okay, very important phrase. You should, you should I want you to understand common grace. I want you to understand common grace so that, so that if someone says, what's common grace, you understand it. It's such an important truth of the Bible. And common grace is summed up here. It's the grace of God to all. Whether they're saved or unsaved, good or bad, he blesses them. And isn't that true? The sun shines only on KT Christians. Wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't that be funny? If we left KT and wherever we went, the sun was shining on us. And everybody else is like, rained on. But the sun... And then our gardens, if you have a garden, the rain falls on your garden... But it doesn't fall on the Muslim's garden next door. No, that's not the case, is it? It doesn't matter whether you love God or hate God. There are things that God does for everyone. It's called common grace. And uh, he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. There's so much that we could talk about that is common, common grace. Heat and light and rain and food. Natural abilities. Is common grace. So you see these great sportsmen. You see these great scientists. You see these great musicians. Um, They don't have to be Christian to be gifted, do they? Many of them aren't. In fact, many of them are highly, highly, highly gifted and hate God. Highly prospered and hate God. Isn't that the case? The psalmist finds this difficult. Why do you prosper the unrighteous? It's common grace. And so the gifts that we have in our life, common grace. Some of you, I mean, you had gifts before you got saved, didn't you? And why does God give, other, give people different levels of gifts? And, you know, why, does, why is there a David Beckham and then there's somebody that plays in the pub league? Because God determines it. But it's all God's common grace. You don't have to be saved to be blessed with these things. And so we see this. That you might be sons of your father, and think about the patience of God. Every breath the atheist takes is done by permission of God, because if God knows when a um, if God knows when a bird falls, He knows when a human falls. So the very breath an atheist is blaspheming God with is by the common grace of God. The health an atheist have it's the grace of God, and so look at God. He's looking down, and the hatred, false religion, the evil that takes place. If I was God, and anybody murdered somebody, or or, or did pedophile thing, if I was God, I'd probably kill them. I don't worry. They're not going to have any. I'd turn the sun off. They're not having any more of my son. You know, if someone set up a religion despising my son. I'd turn off their money tap. I'd turn off... If they lived in an oil-rich nation, I'd turn the oil off. You're not going to speak about my son like that. Who do you think you are? I'm going to sort you out. Can you see how that's the personal attitude of somebody that hates their enemies? The retribution. And God has far more reason to turn off his grace, his common grace to people, than we have. That's common grace. Special grace is the grace that saves. That's special. Okay? And um, so this means that we need to be like our Father. We need to shine our light on people. We need to use our power to bless and pray for, for people. Uh, we, we need to give grace to people that are ungrateful to us, uh, who don't believe in us, who uh, are out to get us. We need to cause our sharp sun to remain shining on them. We don't turn off our sun. We don't turn off the blessing of our rain. We don't turn these things off. Because what what does it matter to God? Is God impressed in verse 46 if you love those who love you? That's what the Pharisees would say. Love your neighbor. Love those who love you and hate those that don't. Is God impressed if you love those who love you? Well, before you were Christian, didn't you love those who loved you? Didn't you have friends and they were good to you and you were good to them? And if you had decent family, they loved you and you loved them. What's the big deal? There's nothing supernatural, sermon on the mount, of getting along with people you get along with. Why? Even the tax collectors do the same. And the reason Jesus used the tax collectors is because they were some of the biggest abusers that were in the society of that time. Because the Romans paid the tax collectors to get a certain amount of tax for the Roman government. But they made their money by getting even more. So they they were extortionate. They were like the mafia. They were like godfather. They were like coming for protection money. And they would take the money out of orphans' mouths for food. They would take it from widows. They didn't care. But you know, even a tax collector loves his tax collector child. Even the nastiest of people can love the people that are close to them. Even a horrendous dictator can love their children and those that are family. There is absolutely nothing supernatural of of loving those that love you, being nice to those that be nice to you. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even tax collectors do that? You see, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He associated with people that apparently he shouldn't have. And like the Pharisees, well, why, why are you associating with these sinners and fallen people, these nasty people? Why are you, you should be spending time with us. He moved outside his comfort zone. You see, if we're going to win some of the loss, we're going to have to get to know some people that don't believe what we believe. We're going to have to befriend people from other religions. We're going to have to reach out to people that we wouldn't actually want to reach out to. We're going to have to befriend people with opinions that are radically different to ours and not think, "Oh, can't deal with this. can't deal with this. In fact, we're to seek people That are different to us. We're to seek people that wouldn't normally like us and probably don't like us when they meet us. We're to cross the boundaries. We're to step out of the party line. We're to actively say, Lord, show me people that won't like the fact that I'm an evangelical Christian. So in your neighborhood, you know, you meet people, and, you know, I think of my neighborhood, and I meet people, and some of them are are quite open to Christianity. And it's great to sit with them. Some of them don't like Christianity. And the moment I mention God, they, they almost start to manifest. And then I thought, and then my reaction is, okay, I'll go to the people that don't manifest. you know what I mean? It's like, some of my neighbours are like being around. You know, they're open to it. They, got, they, they think it's great, I'm a minister. Uh, others, it's like there's an icy silence when, anything's, when anything to do. And so my natural reaction is to like, well, stuff you. You don't like me. Right. Well, fine. Go and find someone you do like and spend time with the people where I feel affirmed, encouraged and positive and they're getting closer to the Lord. But Jesus says the spirit filled person is going to say, do you know what? I'm going to go to the person, the person that doesn't like me, that is a bit cold. And do you know what? I'm going to bless them. I'm going to greet them. I'm going to go out of my way. And I'm going to break that thing down because they don't have power over me. They don't like me, but I don't have to shield myself because they've got no power over me, whether they like me or not. So someone hates me, remember, they have no power. You hate me. This is the beauty of Christianity. This is where mature Christianity comes into us. This is spirit-filled. You know, Jesus, you can do whatever you want to me, but you can't do anything except the Father permits Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And walks through everybody that wants to throw him off the cliff near Nazareth. My time has not yet come. You you have no power over me, Pilate, except that which my father gives gives you. And that which my father gives you, I'm prepared to accept. I'm free. I'm free. Your hatred has got no power over me. Your dislike has got no power over me. Your disapproval has got no power over me. You've got no power over me because my Father is in control of everything. So because I'm free, I'm going to begin to pray and overcome this natural sort of like withdraw from those that don't like you and attach yourself those to do because you've got security. You have security around those who love you you feel secure you have security around those who think you're a great preacher spend time with those those that think you're a great preacher spend time with those I'm a great preacher thank you I'm a great you can come to dinner anytime somebody comes I don't like your preaching well if you don't like it there's a church up the road where are those people and so those that love you those that like you you spend time you're getting affirmation you feel that you're safe but the Father will give you that the real Spirit-filled Christians in Acts of the Apostles, they say, well, I'm already affirmed. I'm already loved. My life is already in the hands of my Father. There's nothing anybody can do about my life. It, God, you, you can threaten me with the sack, but in the end, God's in control. And if you sack me, well, the, the Lord's got another... I, every time you intimidate me, every time you make me feel like, like, like I'm vulnerable, I remember that my life is in God's hands and not yours. And now I'm free. I'm free to take the insult. I'm free to be persecuted. I'm free. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're, we're anywhere there yet. But this is a key. Freedom. Now, next week, we go into chapter 6. And it's the same sermon, but we're but we are going to be expanding on a lot of this because still I've been speaking a lot about the father because even when you finish here in verse 48, it says, be perfect or mature like your father. In other words, take your father's example and we'll unpackage that. Now we're going to go into chapter six and talk about, well, all these righteousness that's, that's above the Pharisees, all these things meant to love our neighbors were meant to like, if someone takes your... Shirt, give them your... All these things we're meant to do. Well, if we do all that, aren't we going to be left alone and vulnerable and and, and have no power? And the whole of chapter 6 is going to say, well, not really. Because your Father will reward you. Your Father will watch over you. Your Father will clothe you. Your Father will lead you. Your Father knows every moment that you're alive. Your Father, your Father, your Father. Transfer your trust. Live in the presence of your Father. React in the presence of your Father. Act in the presence of your Father. That's the key to living. And that is the key to walking. It's another way of saying walk by the Spirit. So from next week, we are going into a zone of the Spirit, and trust in the Father that few Christians have ever even heard of. We don't need the law. We have the Spirit, the love, and the Father. God bless you.